that are coming to know who Jesus is for the first time. That's one of the groups that we're going to look at. Another one of the groups is a group that would know him very well, and that's his disciples. Uh, these are students, people who have been following him and learning under him, not only who he was, but who they were. And then also we're going to look at the Pharisees. Uh, the Pharisees were the religious leaders of the time, and uh, if you've read uh, any part of the New Testament for any part of time, you'll know that a lot of times the Pharisees and Sadducees and other religious leaders and teachers seem to come into conflict with Jesus quite a bit, and we're going to look at that as well. So those are the groups we're going to be looking at. What I want to do is start with this passage, though, Luke 19, starting in verse 28. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany, at the mount that is called, called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you are untying it, you shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and fa- so those who were sent away and found it, just as he told them, and they were untying the colt. Its owners said to them, "Why are you untying the colt?" And they said, "The Lord has need of it." Good disciples, by the way. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they sat Jesus on it, and and he rode rode along. As he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And he, as he was drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. So we already see the interaction of these three groups that we're talking about. But I want to take kind of one look at a time. Uh, The first group that we're going to look at, and as we go through these, I really do want you to ask yourself in as honest a position as you can, who am I? Today, as I'm sitting here on this Palm Sunday, who am I? How am I responding to Christ? One of those answers is, you may be a disciple. You may be a student or a learner. Uh, one of the ways you can know that is kind of look at the attributes or the, the, the uh, elements that we see in that response. One of the first elements that we see is obedience beyond understanding. Uh, the story I just read, there's a good chance you've heard that multiple times before. For me, every time I read it, though, there is still, I kind of I, you know, identify with different people through these different stories and put myself in the situation and try to be honest about how I would respond. Now, hopefully, if, if I had a strong relationship and, and trusted my teacher, that I, I would respond well. But you have to admit the request is, is a little odd. And, uh, I, you know, I picture myself at work, for example, and somebody would offer a request like this, hey, you know, go and take this thing that isn't yours and bring it back to me. Uh, well, what if they don't want me to take their donkey? Well, just tell them the Lord needs it. Can I buy you a donkey? <laughs> you know, can, can we come up with something else here? Because I don't see that this is going to go well. And, you know, you can see, it's not that I'm trying to rebel. It's just I'm trying to help this along a little, right? Well, they were better disciples 
than I was in that little scenario. So let's look at their response there in Luke 19.32. So those who were sent away went away and found it just as, as he had told them. He, they basically said, look, I, you know, I don't understand necessarily what you're going to do with a donkey. I don't understand why we need a donkey. I don't understand why I can't buy a donkey. But this is what you said to do. And hopefully at this point in their life, they had seen that, you know what? The Lord has credibility. And I'm going to trust the Lord beyond my understanding. So it's not necessarily that they bought into the game plan and therefore I will fall in line. You know, we see that a lot in our own lives, I think. You know, hey, if you can convince me that this is a good plan, I'll fall in line and I'll, you know, I'll I'll toe the line. But if I question it or if I don't understand it, maybe not. You know, maybe I'm not buying in so much. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, the God who created everything that we see and the plenty that we don't, you have to understand that he knows more than you, okay? You have to humble yourself and understand that position. Uh, A very silly, simple analogy that we have is right out of the movies. I want to see who knows this line. All right, Forrest Gump, who's seen the movie? Show of hands. All right. So the drill, drill sergeant says, Gump, what's your sole purpose in this army? Who knows the answer? Who knows the response? Do whatever you tell me to, sir. Close, very close. To do whatever you tell me to, drill sergeant. I did this, drill sergeant. I'll try to get the accent in there. Uh, now, I'm not quoting anything after that because it gets a little blue after that, but uh, the drill sergeant has colorful response. But, uh, but... But Gump's response in this little scenario is perfect. It's like, look, I don't know. You're in charge. I'm going to do what you tell me. And we look at that, and especially this crowd. We've referenced this more than once. This group is typically highly educated, highly motivated, highly successful. You guys are the go-getters in life. Wonderful. Uh, There is a downside to that. And the downside is that when you get a group of leaders together, you're typically short on followers, right? And so we need to be good followers. Even if you're a leader in life, God bless you for that gift that he has given you, right? But you have to make sure that you know that with that inherent leadership that you have as part of your personality, you're going to need to be able to humble yourself and follow, follow Christ. Um, You need to be able to put yourself in a position where you admit, I don't know everything. Uh, this is hard because we think, you know, we are competent people. But remember, what, what are we referred to in Scripture? What are, what are we called? Sheep. That's right. We're sheep. All right. We're not even gump. We're sheep. And so we have to understand that we are to follow not only as we buy into things, but beyond our understanding, trusting that God is guiding us where he wants us to go. Uh, another attribute that we see in that response, you go to the next slide if you could, is our unrestrained praise. Basically, the second half of the passage really gives this account, and it's, this is how we get the name, Palm Sunday. And uh, you know, we, we see this outpouring of praise from the disciples. And to be fair, this is probably a mixed group. This is a, a group of the disciples itself. We see that in uh, Luke uh, 19.37. Says as he was drawing near, already on the way down to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. So certainly, the biblical account is that there were disciples 
Uh, to be fair, there were probably also some in another group that we're going to talk about in a second, and that's the crowd, just some onlookers in that group as well. But certainly we can say that the disciples were there, and my, I will speculate that the disciples were leading that worship. That's not uh, it's typically something that comes out of people that are just curious. Uh, these are people who understand what they're looking at and understand uh, the, the, the presence of, of God in that moment. So that is why we are here. When we come in on Sunday morning, we have a lot of priorities that we balance. We use this as a time to teach. We use this as a time to pray. We use this as a time to share announcements and kind of coordinate ourselves organizationally. But if we ever get to a point where we are not praising God, when we come to worship, we must worship. And that's as individuals and that's as a group. If we ever get to the point where we're not doing that, our priorities are out of line and we need to rethink the whole thing. You are here this morning to worship. Worship through song. Worship through the study of God's word. You are here to lift your heart up to God and lift him high and recognize the glory of God. That's what we do on Sunday mornings and hopefully throughout the rest of the week in worship to God. So if you have that type of response when you encounter Christ, then you are a disciple of Christ. And I would encourage you to continue to grow in that, to help others grow in that response and to support one another through our small groups and other opportunities that we have to all of us learn together more about God and to worship Him. That's, that's our response. Now, a second group that we see, and we talk about the disciples, but a second group that we see are the Pharisees. Uh, one of my favorite projects I did in seminary was we had to write a Bible study. It was like a six-week Bible study, and we got to pick whatever topic we wanted uh, so that uh, we could you know, pick something of interest. And so my study was called More Than a Pharisee. I thought it was absolutely fascinating that Jesus who encountered so many people from so many ridiculous backgrounds, was so soft in his response. And we've seen a lot of that in just the last few Sundays, the adulterous woman, uh, people that were criminals, you know, the, you know as, a, as tax collectors that were corrupt. And his response was so soft. And he would go out of his way and even put himself in socially awkward situations in, 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 in the way of ridicule to reach out to these people and say, you know what, yes, you have sinned, but there is hope, and he would share that hope with them. Who got the roughest response from Jesus Christ? The religious leaders. And as somebody, especially as somebody who was in seminary, uh, to consider that that was going to be a, a big part of my life, to be a leader in a church setting, it's unsettling <laughs> to see that if you do this, wrong, that if you take that responsibility under wing and don't take it seriously and don't treat it the way God wants you to treat it, that there is a harsh response. Uh, I, you know, we, we did different parts in that study. We talked about the seven woes of the Pharisees and, uh, and the teachers, and he basically really lays out a harsh response. And some of that you see on the screen right now. So how did the Pharisees respond to Jesus, and what was he so critical of? Well, one is that they were personally threatened by his position. You have to understand, since we did skip from 7 all the way to, to 19 today, all right, there is a little bit in between. And one of the significant events that led up to where we are today was Lazarus. Okay, everybody remember this story? 
All right, so Lazarus had died, and Jesus comes to encounter him, and, and there's, he had been, by the way, he teaching through parables and performing miracles, so he'd already had this reputation. And then kind of the crescendo of that, honestly, in my opinion, what got him killed was this last miracle, raising of the dead of Lazarus in a very public way. You'll remember at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, many of these miracles, he would instruct them, don't tell anybody, I'm not ready to have that type of exposure. That's a very loose paraphrase, but he would say, don't go out and tell anybody. These were kind of private, almost miracles. But at the end, there was a large crowd that witnessed the raising of Lazarus, and the response was very strong. And you see, even in that passage, the Pharisees begin to say, we got to do something about this. This is getting out of hand, out of hand. Well, One of the things I love about the Gospels is even though in the passage I just read you, you don't see exactly everything I just talked about and you don't even really see all the response of the Pharisees, we have four Gospels. And this account of of this entry, this Palm Sunday entry, uh, is actually accounted in all four of the Gospels. Now, three of them are pretty similar, but the book of John is actually a little bit different. So I want to draw your attention to John 12. Uh, This is verse 17 through 19. And let's look at uh, how the Pharisees respond here. It says, Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had had given this miracle, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Like I said, keep in mind, they had plotted to kill him and ruin him prior to this. And now they have totally lost control. They've totally lost control. This thing was way too public. And all of a sudden, they had had really two groups of supporters here. One was this group that was his disciples. But there was also this group of people that wouldn't really be considered his disciples. They just saw this incredible thing. They were witnesses is really the best term for them. And they were telling everybody else what they had seen. And now this excitement had crescendoed to such a point that, as you can tell by this last phrase, the whole world has gone after him. The whole world is now following after Christ to understand who he is and why why this giant miracle and uh, what does this all mean. So they were personally threatened. uh, And that probably, if you've ever heard anything about the Pharisees, doesn't surprise you. That's a pretty uh, traditional... uh, uh, por- uh, portrayal of who they were. But I, th- I am always asking why. You know, why? If they were religious teachers, I have to think they're not flat characters like in a cartoon. These are real people. Remember, Paul came from this background. Okay? There were people, and we see others, Nicodemus and others. There, I'm sure some of them that were 100% corrupt. But you've got to think that some of these people that dedicated their life to serving God were truly dedicating their life to serve God. And so what was it if their heart was kind of in the right place that got them so far off that they would reject and even pursue to kill the God they claimed to worship? And I think a big part of that is this. They were lacking understanding. They were lacking understanding. Luke 19, uh, starting in verse 39. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, If these were silent, the very stones would cry out. I think the meat of that verse is they just did not understand what they were 
were what they were viewing. This event had been prophesied, and even the, it says in the scriptures that the disciples really at that time didn't quite tie the event to the prophecy. It was later on, whenever Christ was resurrected, that they put the, you know put the puzzle together. But certainly the Pharisees didn't understand what they were looking at. And not only that, look how do they address Jesus. What's the word they use? Teacher, rabbi. This is very common. Basically, well, what's the problem with that? They're calling him teacher. That's a title of respect. Well, it's a title as a peer, okay? That's me going up to another pastor and saying, pastor, okay, teacher. In other words, look, we're both in the same line of work here, okay? And so... I am telling you, look, we're peers. You're out of line. You're out of line here. Um, one of the things, you know, we just talked about the, the being a good disciple means you're what? A student, not a teacher. Uh, you really have to understand that I think a lot of that lack of understanding starts with a misunderstanding of how, what their relationship was to Jesus. It wasn't as a peer. Uh, right now, I'm getting to do something that I wanted to do ever since we really got married. And that was I am teaching my boys how to play golf. Uh, we have, I have two, two sons. Um, the uh, oldest, Ian, is, uh, he's not this tall. <laughs> I'm, I'm short. Everybody looks this tall to me. So uh, Ian is just turned nine. Cullen is five, about to turn six. And uh, so we got Ian some golf clubs for his birthday uh, Cullen has some coming, but don't tell him it's not his birthday yet. And uh, so we got him one club. He's a lefty, so I had to get him a special club. So we've been, Sunday afternoons, we've been heading to the driving range. That's what we've been doing when it's not raining. And uh, so we got out there having a good time. They're off to a good start. But I can see a huge difference in my sons. Uh, if you've met my sons, Ian is very compliant. He does not want to disappoint. He wants to do what you say. And any kind of reprimand is strongly taken in and, and adjustments are made. Ian is very compliant and uh, very easy. Cullen <laughs> is a wonderful little boy as well, and he has some great ideas about how to run this world. And uh, so what I had to do, because I was, you know, this is his, literally his first time out at a driving range. And so he starts doing what I tell him, and then all of a sudden he starts getting his own ideas. Well, if I, if I switch my hands around, I can swing harder. If I you know, do this, I do that. And so finally I had, okay, got, well, come here, boys, listen. I want you to stand here and watch Daddy. So I grabbed my driver, put a tee in the ground, said a quick prayer, <laughs> and reared back and slobber knocked that thing down you know, as far as I could, and thank God it went uh, where I wanted it to go. And I went back, and I said, now, when you can hit it farther than that, you're the teacher, okay? Until then, I'm the teacher, all right? I had to, and that'll probably be about a year and a half, but uh, I get a year and a half as teacher, right? They, the Pharisees, had to have that same experience. If you study the Pharisees, what you'll see is that God came and said, here is my law. If you obey my law, we, that will help us be in right relationship. Now, since you can't obey the law, what it's going to basically do is point you to your failure there. But the Pharisees said, oh, that's great. Matter of fact, hey, we thought of some others. We thought of some others that are really going to help us here. And so they take this you know, small set of guidance that God had provided, and they added to it, and they added to it, and they added to it. And to the point now, 
where if you look at the full body of, of Jewish law, uh, it makes up about 80% to what the original law was, about 20%, okay? So you've got 80% of buffer or fat or whatever you want to call it. The intent was is that if this is the boundary that God sets, we're not, as leaders, we're not going to let our people get close to that boundary. So that's God's fence. So we're going to make a bigger fence, all right? We're going to do a, a wider perimeter that we're going to set these laws to. So even if they trip up on this law, they still haven't violated God's law. They were making up their own system. They put themselves above God and said, no, we can do this better. You know, God, you only gave us a single set of laws. We need to add to that. Just like Cullen wanted to add to my instruction to his golf swing. You cannot put yourself above God. He is teacher. He is Lord. He is everything you are not. You are a student. You are a disciple. So that was the the great misunderstanding. Secondly, (coughs) excuse me, uh, Luke uh, 19, 41 through 42 says, And when he drew near the city... And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, What that you, even you, had known on this day, the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. What does that mean? This is the passage that immediately follows the passage that we were reading just a second ago. What does that mean? What Jesus is saying is, I have introduced myself, you have not responded the way you should have responded, again, directing himself to the Pharisees, and said, you were in charge of this community. And knowing the future, he knows, and if you keep reading beyond 42, that there's a great calamity that's going to come, and they're going to be overtaken. And they have taken these steps on their own guidance as to how to achieve peace in their community. They've set up these laws. How are we going to achieve peace in our community? And what he says is, look, if you knew, if you understood what I was trying to teach you, you would have had peace. You would have on this day the things that make for peace, okay? But now they are hidden from your eyes. Now you're not going to have that opportunity again. That opportunity has passed. In our own lives, we have a lot of people out there teaching what it takes to have peace in our own lives, not just as a a city or a nation, although that applies as well. But even in your own life, how do I get rid of stress about finances? How do I get rid of stress from relationships? How do I have peace about my purpose in life? And it's the exact same message. There is a way to do it. We stand up here every Sunday, Barrett does, and lays that plan out, that you have to come to Christ, submit to him, you have to confess your sins, and give your life over to Christ and accept his grace that he will forgive your sins and then follow him in learning as a disciple the rest of your life. That's the plan that God's laid out. So if you've got another plan, be ready to have that type of response. Be ready to have the response of a Pharisee that you're going to be frustrated, that you're going to be personally threatened by the position that Christ takes in your life and Christians take in your life, and be ready to miss an opportunity that you could have had peace in your life, but it passed you by because you had your own plan, you had your own approach. That's the response of a Pharisee. The last group that we want to look at is, I call it here a seeker. You can call it the crowd. 
But it's basically the community, somebody that's just getting introduced to who Jesus is. I want to look at that passage real quick as well. This is also out of John. gives us a little fuller picture than we have in our passage in Luke. So John 12, 17 through 20. Now the crowd, this is the same one we read a second ago, but it goes a little further this time. Now the crowd that was with him, when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Now there were some Greeks among them who went out to worship at the feast. So basically that same passage. So we see this seeker, but really we see two types of seeker. Who are the two groups? One is the first group that Jesus encountered when he actually raised Lazarus from the dead. And they kind of picked up, at least some of them did, and followed him and started telling this incredible thing that they saw. The other group is kind of the receiving city over here where they, they, you know, the crowd is coming, Jesus is coming, they've already heard word about what had happened, and now they're coming out as somebody who is curious. So you kind of have these witnesses and you have these seekers, right? You have both bodies. Neither really considered his disciples. Neither one is really following after him at this point. They're just trying to understand who that is. I have a very simple message. If that's you, welcome to church. Everybody starts out as this person. That's not a bad thing. Please don't ever feel obligated to pretend that you're something other than this. Okay? That is where everybody that ever comes to Christ starts. You are not born. I don't care if mama puts you in the, the crib the sixth week that you were born in the church nursery. That does not make you a Christian. Okay? Everyone starts out having to be introduced to who Jesus is, coming to understand what Jesus means in this world and in our lives, and then having to make a personal decision to accept his grace. So if you're not there yet, please feel at home, okay? You are here because God has guided you here to hear his message and to learn more. So never feel like you have to pretend that, that you're something that you're not. You are welcome in this church. We are thrilled to have people who fall under this category, okay? So just know that you're welcome. Uh, the second thing is don't be satisfied with that. Don't be satisfied with that. If God has called you to pursue and seek after him, then do that. We have Bible studies in this church for just about every day of the week, certainly every part of town, that is an opportunity for you to sit down with people that are believers that have studied the word of God that can teach you and answer questions that you have, at least hopefully. If not, then hopefully they'll be honest and, and do the, the research with you. But you can learn. Now, certainly we can learn as believers, and we want to do that. But if you're a seeker especially, please get involved in a Bible study. That is not just for believers. That is also for people that are seeking out who God is. So we'd encourage you to get plugged in there. And then also, of course, the, you know, the staff or any kind of uh, person in this church as leadership would be happy to sit down with you, go to lunch with you, answer questions that you have. Please be as open, as honest as you can about where you are in that faith journey. Uh, we would invite you to, to do that. So, we've kind of come full circle. We've seen those, these responses. We've seen what it means to be a seeker as we encounter Christ. We've seen what it means to be a Pharisee 
and try to make our own rules and kind of buck the system that God has laid out for us. And we've seen what it means to be a true disciple, a true learner, and have that response. So what we're about to do is transition into a time of commitment, time of response. And what I want you to do is I want you to really take a moment to yourself, be as honest as you can, and make sure that you know who you are today on Palm Sunday. Who are you on Palm Sunday? If you are a disciple, then praise God. You're following after him. Uh, There may be areas in your life that you need to focus on. What I want you to do, though, is in a minute we're going to be taking communion. We're going to be taking the Lord's Supper. The best thing that you can do during this time of response is to prepare yourself for that. How do I do that? First thing you do is think and ask God to bring to your attention any unconfessed sin in your life. And you need to be open and honest with God. You can't hide it from Him anyway and confess that sin, repent of that sin, and prepare your heart. That is taken very seriously in Scripture that you need to prepare your heart before you take communion, okay? If you are a Pharisee, and I hope there aren't many, but there may be some, that basically means you've been playing church, okay? You've been here. You've tried to put on a good show. Uh, I got some good news for you. We don't care. Uh, You know, you're not putting on a show for us because we're not watching, all right? So you need to be able to walk away from that, have freedom that maybe you've messed up, maybe you've been pretending too much, and it's time to, to pursue a real relationship. If it makes you feeling more comfortable, that was exactly my story. I was in church for years and years and years before I finally had to stand up, swallow my pride, and say, you know what, I, I've been just trying to be a good boy. I've been trying to follow the right rules. I've been trying to earn my way into heaven. And... Maybe for the first time, I really understood you know, over the last month or so here that that doesn't work. That is not God's plan. So I'm here to ask forgiveness for that, and I want to commit my life to Christ and accept his grace. And I was very nervous. I was already a leader. As, this was as a young person in high school, but still I was a leader in that group in that church. So it was very hard to, to humble myself and walk forward. The response was incredible. They, you know. There was absolute grace, absolute grace. And if you're a seeker, then I would ask that you would pray that, uh, that God would continue to lead you, that God would bring into your life a strong Christian friend that can answer those questions for you, that can help encourage you, and that they can guide you through what it means to be a Christian, explain what the gospel is, and answer any challenges or concerns that you have, uh, that you could be open with them.